Tonight we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. And we're at that part of the book of 1 Samuel where David's running for his life. King Saul, his father-in-law, is out to kill him and wants to... Well, Saul's going crazy. The spirit of distress has come upon him. At the same time, God has anointed David to be the future king, and the spirit of God is upon him. And the irony of it is that as Saul is fading and going crazy, and as David is emerging, being prepared to be the future king, that the, the one is, being, is refining the other one. It really is all things working together for good to those who love God. And God is preparing David. He's through agitation, through trials and tribulations, the fear of his life. He's being refined and made into a man of God to be the king. To whom much is given, much is required. And when we get there to that place of influence and position and power, we need to be prepared for it. We need, it's the journey that prepares us for the destination as life is preparing the believer for the destination of heaven and the things in eternity. It's the same thing in a broader scope. So David is being prepared in the difficult time to be entrusted with great responsibilities to be the leader of God's people. And that's our background. So we just come off where he left the Philistine region where he was acting crazy because he's afraid uh, the Philistine king was going to try and kill him because the Philistine king knew that David was the one who had defeated Goliath and struck down the, the ten thousands, as the song was sang by the Israelite women. So with that background, we read this in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, just a couple of verses tonight. David therefore departed from there, that, that gath in the Philistine region, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all of his family's house heard it, they went down there to him. Remember, they lived in Bethlehem. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became a captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. And of course, those men had their wives and families, and so they're a broader group. And so this cave of Dulam is this story where David's on the run, and there are people that identify with him, they want to be with him. And of these 400 men, we'll see in, it happens in Chronicles and 2 Samuel, the list of David's 30 mighty men. Of these 400 men, 30 men emerge as just incredible leaders. And we find that they went from being men that were in distress, in debt, and discontented, that within a 10-year period, when the reign of David begins with just the tribe of Judah in the south, and then seven years later, the unified entire Israelite kingdom, that these men are brilliant men. They're mighty men. They're warriors in combat. They're capable administrators. They go from being distressed, fearful, anxious, in debt, upside down economically, and uh, depressed and despondent to being uh, that disposition to be negative and everything's wrong, They go from being that to being men of faith to men of economic wisdom and to men that influence a society for greatness, so much so that when David's son Solomon comes to power, the zenith of really Israel is in the reign of Solomon one generation later. These 400 men, from these 400 men, 30 of them became the mighty men, plus their wives and their children, And they change Israel and they change human history. It is fascinating that David, who has been anointed to be king, and Jack played that song for us, Psalm 23, which is perfect for tonight. But David wrote, you know, that the Lord is my shepherd. He sang that and wrote that psalm. And he had experienced that being a shepherd of his father's sheep. He was the the man of faith. He defeated the bear, defeated the lion. He was a man of courage. He defeated Goliath. He was a man of under authority, in authority. He submitted to his father-in-law. He only thought, sought good and thought good toward his father-in-law. He certainly was a man of faith. He is a man of character and conviction. He has his flaws. We all know that later on as as we go on with the journey of David in 2 Samuel. But he truly was a great man. And He was anointed to be the king, and yet he's fleeing for his life, and he's begging for bread for him and his buddies with the showbread there with the priest uh, Abathar in the previous chapter. It's, It's kind of paradoxical. 
He's destined for greatness and to reign and rule before all and expand the kingdom of God. But in the present, he's fleeing for his life and he's one step from the grave as we studied just uh, recently and topically on a Saturday. And these two things are running parallel. A destined greatness, but a present tribulation, trials, and refining. And in the midst of that, 400 men and their families gather to him who are in debt, in distress, in debt, and discontented. They gather to him. That's the background to our story. And it says that he became captain over them. So David became the captain of 400 men and their families who were distressed, in debt, discontented. They were anxious and fearful. They were not men of faith. So it probably trickled down to the wives and the kids as well. Everyone's terrified. They had no economic well-being. They didn't bring assets to the movement. You know, when you plant churches, they always say there's two things you need, an evangelist and a tither. They were neither. They were in debt. They brought economic hardship to the cave. They didn't bring supplies that would benefit people. They came needing supplies. They didn't come as givers when they showed up at the cave. They came as takers. That's the truth. And they didn't come with a positive, can-do, optimistic outlook on life. No, they came discontented. They came unhappy, not pleased, not thankful. Discontented, when you, discontented is not a positive word, it's a negative word. She's discontent, he's discontent. That's unhappy, agitated. They're not a good employee, they're not good in a marriage, and they're not good living at home as adults. You got to get them out. If you have adult children at home and they're discontented, hey, there you go. It's not the Holiday Inn, right? We understand these things. But from this gathering, David would see 30 men arise and become the mighty men. Greatness was in them, but on the day they showed up at the cave of Abdullam, it did not look good, which reminds us of Jesus and the apostles. When he came down from the mountain all night with the Father, he chose the 12 apostles. There was nothing in any of them that appeared to be greatness, nor their wives or their extended families. They were just, they would seem to have been just average people. One was a zealot that wanted to kill the Romans. One was a tax collector, and they made extra money by ripping people off, Matthew. And then the others were fishermen. They didn't want anyone messing with them. You know how fishermen are. They go on their boat, leave me alone. I'm just fishing. They say a bad day fishing is better than a good day doing anything else. Like, just let it be. And Jesus chose these men, and he said, you're going to be fisher of men, and he changed the world with them. And the gospel record is the record of them being taught lessons, like you don't call down fire from heaven just because the city says no to Jesus. Stuff like that. How are we going to pay the temple tax? It's going to be in the coins, going to be the, fish, the mouth of the fish. You learn that God will provide. He'll take care of it. So they're learning all these lessons in their journey. And then the women that ministered to Jesus, they came along. The women were there at the foot of the cross. The women were there in, at the tomb before anyone else got there on Easter morning. This team was being built. Mary Magdalene, from, who was a harlot, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons, she becomes a hero. So it's not really what you bring to the cave or what you bring to the foot of the mountain when Jesus chooses apostles. It's where you go from there that matters. It's where you go. It's forward, onward, and upward. It's where you're going. And finally, I would compare this to the Calvary Chapel movement because here we are in 2022 listening to Pastor Chuck teach this text back in the 90s in the 3000 series. He talked about how the news was grievous to him. That he couldn't watch TV news, but yet he still did. That he shouldn't read the newspaper, but he did, and it made him angry. It made him in debt, distressed, and discontent. And that he shouldn't read the news magazines, but he did. And it made him angry and upset him. Like, oh, there's nothing new under the sun. Right? But he talked about over 40 years ago, over 30 years ago, how much he was concerned over the time he lived in and where the planet was going. Now, how much more so almost 10 years since he stepped into eternity in 2022? It's unfathomable what Pastor Chuck could have ever foreseen as the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. What would happen to the Calvary Chapel movement after he stepped into eternity, the split? What would happen to American society, the church in America, the entire planet, all the stuff we've been through? But see, He's not meant to be here in 2022 or to be 61. I am. 
in 2022, and you are who you are, your ages, for such a time as this. And every generation has its challenges. We've been talking about this. But when you look at the Calvary Chapel movement, and I mentioned this Tuesday, when I first was going forward with the Lord, the Harvest book that Calvary Maranatha, whoever published it, put it out, and it was a story of all the Calvary Chapel pastors, Jeff Johnson, Skip Heisig, Greg Laurie, Mike McIntosh. And I read this book, and it so encouraged me that God could use me. And if you've ever read the book, you know it encouraged you that God could use you. And again, most particularly of all the stories that I related to was Jeff Johnson, high on drugs, running naked through the jungles of Kauai. And I thought, listen, if God can use this guy, and when I went to Downey and saw the church, I was like, all I could think of was, that's the naked guy high on drugs in the jungles of Kauai. Now, that real estate at Downey right now is worth like tens of millions of dollars. Raul Reese, he's staying home. He's waiting to kill his family. He's angry. He's an angry man. And he's going to kill his family. And he has a karate studio in West Covina. And now you go to Diamond Bar, and it's 12 acres worth millions and millions of dollars. These men in the Harvest book were all men at one point. Mike McIntosh has had half, had half a head in his mind. When I read the stories of these men in 1988, I thought, 1987, I thought, wow, I can do this. I just got to be available. And if these guys can do this. And so when Jennifer and I first went out in ministry that first year, we had the movie Sunriders and we went to all these churches and we became friends with all these guys. And I knew their stories. I, I, I really idolized these guys in a good way. But isn't that like the cave of Abdullam? Pastor Chuck, a tent, men that were in distress, debt, and discontented. And what happened? The Calvary Chapel movement, the Jesus movement. And now here we are in 2022 with a new generation emerging. Millennials, they're, they're realizing life gets harder when you're 30. And they want to be young again, but that's too late. That's Z now. And now the grandkids are coming. It just keeps going on. But I use this introduction about David in the cave of Abdullam to just show us there's nothing new under the sun, and this is what God does in every generation. He, he draws men and women to himself, whoever they are, where they're at, and he meets them where they're at in, in their distress, in their debt, and in their discontentment. And as we become new creations in Christ, he transforms us from glory to glory, and he begins to change all that's wrong and infuse in us all that's right. And he begins to make us the woman we're always meant to be and the man we're always meant to be in the realm of the Spirit. And he does so with trials and tribulations like David and his mighty men going through it together, like Jesus and the apostles and what they went through together and the early church in the book of Acts and church history and what the Calvary Chapel movement went through and what what it went through together. We live and life happens. And God's in the business of drawing people to himself who our captain is Jesus. Their captain was David. David was the captain of those in distress, in debt, and discontented. And Jesus most certainly is the captain of our faith. He's the author and finisher of our faith here in the church. And that's the beauty of the gospel. He meets us where we're at. We can bring all of our credit card debt, all of our spiritual debt, all of our bad attitudes, all of our ugliness, our craziness in the jungles of Kauai. We can bring it to Jesus at the foot of the throne on the sapphire road as Sam taught this morning the men there in Exodus, the sapphire pavement. And he meets us here and he just takes us forward. So worship generation. So worship generation, body of Christ, tonight when we talk about being in distress, being discontented, and being in debt, I want you to keep in the back of your mind on these three topics that everything with the Lord is not about yesterday, but about today. And our mindset for today to go forward in faith, looking unto Jesus, forgetting what behind us, but on what lies ahead. And as someone told me a couple of years ago, start thinking more and get your hustle on. Start thinking more, get smarter, and get your hustle on. And I heeded that, and I've been blessed for it. In my personal walk with the Lord, in my family, in my calling, and in my personal finances. So tonight I'm going to talk to you on these three topics. 
for such a time as this as they relate to us in this church family. Keeping in mind that Jesus is the captain of us tonight, and he's going to make mighty women and mighty men of us from the youngest to the oldest in this place tonight. They were in distress. They were in distress. Now, to me, distress is emotional. Distress is anxiety. It's fear. It's unsettled. Distress. You're anxious. She's in distress. When you come in a situation as a law enforcement, they're in distress. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a situation, a medical situation. They're in distress. In a ministry situation, there's distress. People are overwhelmed. They're anxious. Things are going on, and they're in distress. It's emotional. And because it's emotional, it's really the inner woman, the inner man. It's kind of who we are. You might say it's our spirit. When someone's grieved or quenching their spirit, they're, they're in distress, emotional. It's, it's kind of your inner woman, your inner man. Now, debt is interesting because debt, although it's economic, and, and by the way, when a lot of people teach this passage, they teach it like our spiritual debt with the Lord. You know, that's how I've heard it taught many times. But make no mistake, contextually, it's, it's economic debt. I mean, the context here is not spiritual debt. It's economic debt. It's being upside down financially. That's the context. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. But it's economic. But if you think about it, the things of economy affect us physically. Because we all need health care. That's physical. You need money for your health care. That's, that's your, when you're planning retirement, you've got to figure out your health care. That's a big one. Anyone over 55 that's thought ahead thinks about that one. Because even you get the Social Security, the health care is a big issue. So it's physical. The economics determine, can you eat food? Do you have shelter? Do you have clothes? Do you have the shoes you want, the nice shoes you want? Economic is primarily physical because it is temporal. Now, economics are teaching us things about eternity, but they really affect us physically. You can have nicer clothes, a nicer house, a nicer car, based upon economics. You can have a, a better retirement plan based upon economics. But you can still get sick. You can see a better doctor based upon economics. If you are having surgery and someone sends you money you didn't count on and they say, thank you because I'm having surgery tomorrow and I didn't have enough money, which just happened to us this week in missions, our economics from this church help their economics for a physical need. By the way, when we bless missionaries and people like that, we tell them, look, personal, ministry, savings, whatever. Because when you're in the mission field, you're all in. There's no distinction. You pay yourself last in the mission field. So like in the ministry, you pay yourself last. So we don't say like, hey, this is for Bibles for the poor people on the other side of town, which is fine. If they want to do that, they can. We send you money. We send you thousands. It's your call. So if you're having surgery to deal with pigmentation from a, a birthmark on your face or other physical things, then that's your choice. And sometimes I'll be like, are you sure? I'm like, it's your call. It's the Lord's money. He gave it to us. We're giving it to you. You're serving the Lord. You're 25 years into this. So we know what it's like to be high and low. But it's the debt deals with money, which deals with the physical. It truly does. Then the third one is discontent which deals with attitude, which really deals with your mind, how you frame it. If you're discontent, your mind's in the wrong space. You're, you're in a place of unbelief. If you're discontent, you're not thankful for what God has given you. It's a negative discontent here, by the way. Not like, you know, like, godliness with contentment is great gain. So discontentment would be like to be unhappy. And some people are never happy. Like some of you that have employees, you know, certain employees, no matter how much you give them, it's never enough. I've been through this. And, you, you, you know, if you're the boss, you, 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 when you give people money, 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 and this thing and that thing and that thing, and then they're still complaining, it's like, you know what, it's time for you to find another job. And those that have many employees, you know exactly what I'm talking about. No matter how much you give them, they're never going to be content. And generally speaking, it's because they don't know how to manage their money in the first place, so you've got to compensate for their ineptitude in, in taking care of their resources. So they're taking, 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 and you're just giving, giving, giving. There just comes a point that that's not efficient in the business world, and you got to let them go. 
But the discontentment is the mind. So let me just connect these. I'm not married to these things, but I'll help you frame it. Distress is your spirit, anxiety. Debt is your physical because money deals with all the physical things of life. And discontent is your mind. So spirit, mind, and body. Again, it's, it, I'm not forcing it. You don't have to be married to this, but this is how I'm framing these three things. Because these three things are what these 400 men, their wives and their children, brought to the cave at Adullam. And it was with these three real contextual historical things in the time they lived in that God met them with their mighty man of God, David, the man with the heart after God, the man who had the courage to take on Goliath, the man who lied about the showbread and everything else, but understood the heart of God. These men and their wives were molded and shaped, and they changed the world, and they ran large sums of money, large sums of resources with great power in the next 30, 40 years. So there's a lot to be learned from these men. So those that were in distress, it's distress is real. Distress is real. Anxiety is real. And by the way, it's very real before the Lord comes back. We know that. The Gospel of Mark tells us that men are going to freak out down the stretch. And Luke put it this way that men's hearts fail in them for anxiety over the things that are to come. Nations against nations, in distress of nations, and men's hearts fail in them for the perplexities and the things coming upon them. That's what Jesus taught the human race would look like on planet Earth before he comes back, along with many other things. But an increase in anxiety, emotional anxiety, is a mark of the last days. But really, it's a mark sometimes of just being a human being. We know that. Unless we think somehow there's super Christians that never have anxiety or fear. Forget that. Because in 2 Corinthians, Paul said that when they were doing their ministry, they were perplexed beyond measure and they despaired beyond life. So super apostle Paul said, we were perplexed beyond measure and despaired even of our lives. Now that's a dark place, wouldn't you agree? And that's just in serving the Lord. But it's also Paul who said, I've learned to be content, I've learned to abase and abound, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So being tempted with anxiety, having to deal with anxiety, having to work through fear and these sorts of things, losing a good night's sleep because you're anxious about this business deal or about what your job's going to do or, you know, the forced vaccine or whatever it could be that we've all faced. The forced closure of small businesses, it would seem at times... Uh, political agendas to shut down small businesses and put them out of business, whatever the state or federal. Like, we've all had our buttons pushed for two years like no other time. And just when we cleared all the other stuff, now we've got inflation. The CPI is 8.3. That's massive, and that's what the government's telling us. You go buy eggs and milk, we know it's more than 8.3% inflation. We're going into recession or already in recession, We've got the stock market down 20%. A lot of people thinking it's only halfway going to where it's going. Cryptocurrency got clobbered this week like there's no tomorrow. In fact, I watched something interesting the other day that said, you know, there was a tech bubble of 2001, all the dot-commerce. They had great ideas, but they never produced anything. So that was a bubble and it burst, and a lot of people lost a lot of money. Then there was the housing bubble of 2007, all the bad loans, which do not exist right now. And then 08 was the banking bubble with Lehman Brothers. You know what they're calling our bubble right now? The everything bubble. It's the everything bubble. And some of you watch this stuff every day. I'm looking at people I know in this room that watch this stuff. I watch this stuff every day. I check all kinds of things, energy stocks. I, I check real estate nationwide, global real estate. I check stocks, bonds, T-bills, all this stuff, crypto. And I'm telling you, any pattern for economic stability is out the window right now. And things that usually go teeter-totter, they're all going the same way. It is the everything bubble right now. And it's got men's hearts failing them and people in distress. And I think we can relate to this. And I don't say it's unsettling anybody. I'm just saying this is the real deal. You know the funny thing about Pastor Chuck when he said how much he hated watching the news, reading the news magazines, reading the paper? He says you can't bury your head in the sand. So I am aware of the news. But he says it's distressing. But he says, you know, you got to know what's going on. And in some things you got to know, some things you don't want to know, and some things you shouldn't know. But uh, 
it's a stressful time. But again, it's a stressful in the time of David. So in the time of David, the Philistine garrison's in Bethlehem. So David gets his family out of a place controlled. They're occupied. There's an occupying force of Philistines in his hometown. He defeated Goliath, their superhero, and he's got to get his family out of town. Saul wants to kill his family because monarchs are threatened by families that could be other monarchs, contrary to you being the monarch. It's just, you got to go to Moab. You got to go, like, it's, it's just, it's crazy time in the context of this text to get to the cave of Abdullam. Everyone's just freaking out. It's like, oh my goodness. Oh, the Philistines are everywhere. I thought we were winning. Saul's out of his mind. He's trying to kill David. But these people cast their lot with David, 400 of them and their families. And they said, we might be in debt. We might be in distress. And we might be discontent. But this is the guy that we want to be with, who's a type of Jesus, of course. A man of faith, a man of courage, we'll cast our lot with him and we'll just, we'll see how that goes. And it went well. They cast their lot with the right person. And by the way, who you associate is a, makes a big impact on your life. It's always better to associate with spirit-filled men rather than men that have a distressing spirit upon them. And common sense will tell you which one it is if you just look at them long enough, man or woman. But distress, we realize, we've been pushed to anxiety. I've had anxiety I've had to fight through it. There's things that have made me anxious. Actually, when I began to take care of my dad's estate years ago, I had so much anxiety. There was stuff in the family, and some of you know, you've been through family experiences where certain adult siblings steal 100000 or 200000 or whatever, and oh, it gets so messy. You can't get the people out of the house. You can't sell the house. You can't evict them. They're using every loophole the state of California gives them. You lose sleep over this stuff, WG, so you didn't need me reminding you of it. You just lose sleep over this stuff unless you can give it to the Lord. So you don't need the end of the world to have men's hearts failing you. You can just have living in the human experience in any generation have men's hearts failing you. You can live for Jesus Christ any time in the human event, in the human experience, and you'll have your heart fail you for different reasons. There's just so much. So we have to learn, and we have to learn from Captain Jesus, the captain of us, to make us mighty women and mighty men in 2022 for the kingdom of God that we can cast our cares upon him. He does care for us, and he'll keep him in perfect peace. He'll keep her in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee because they trust in him. And that's why it says in Philippians, be anxious for nothing but through prayer and supplication. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, it's beyond our intellect, will guard our hearts and minds. Guard our hearts for peace and our minds for the right perspective through Christ Jesus. But to think that we're not tempted to be anxious would be absolutely absurd. We are anxious. We can't get the parts for the roof or closing the house. We can't get the parts for the car. It's just open-ended. We, we're stuck with this car until we get these parts. I mean, you know this. And some seem hyped and manufactured, like for whatever reason, but some things are very real on the supply chain. They're all wearing masks in Asia again. I know you know that. I follow all these Asian dancers. They were maskless. Now they're all wearing masks again. Korea, Japan, China. I think we're on that ride. We don't get off. This is Six Flags. Uh, Bush Gardens in Virginia Beach had a ride called Big Bad Wolf. It was a scary ride. I would never go on that now in my 60s. I wouldn't go on my 50s. But you stuck on that ride. That'd be the worst, that'd be the worst dream ever. You're stuck on that ride. And don't you feel like sometimes we're stuck on this ride? So if you're hanging upside down on Big Bad Wolf, you got to say, be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, that my request be known to God, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guide my hearts and minds Christ Jesus. Lord, I'm upside down, but I'm trusting in you. We're not meant to be in distress. We can come into this place with distress, but you can't, do not walk out of here in distress. You know, I was listening to, like, how many people last week lost millions, even billions of dollars, for real? I mean, billions of dollars were lost last week. And I thought, well, I don't have a billion to lose, but if I did, I'd like to just totally be good with that. And I keep telling people, government will take your money, life will take your money. Job lost everything in one day, and he said, naked I came, naked I go. I mean, it's not about what you keep and possess. It's about what you're trusted with, what you sow, and what you grow, and then ultimately, when you get to the next dimension, that's where the payoff is. The payoff isn't here. These billionaires that can want to control the world, they leave it all behind. See, but what you learn to be faithful with 
is preparing you for the next dimension. This is like spring ball with baseball. You're trying to make the roster. And how good is it going to feel when you break spring in Arizona and you're on the 25-man roster and you're playing for the Angels? You call your mom, Mom, it's not the minors. They're not sending me back to, you know, Lake Elsinore. I'm going to Anaheim, Mom. Like, that's us in eternity. The hustle we got on, what we're doing right now in this life, we're trying to make the team at spring ball. We are on the team, but we're, we're trying to, you know, like, hey, you're, you're a starting pitcher in God's rotation. This is all preparing us for the next dimension. So be anxious for nothing, but let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Jesus said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. And Paul said, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, literally. Guide and direct your every thought. So we might be tempted for distress because 2022 it just keeps on going. But the question is, are we going to keep on growing? Because the things causing anxiety just keep on going. But the question is, are we going to keep on growing in our faith and in the things of the Lord? The second thing is that they're in debt. Now, this is, this is tough. No one likes debt. There's bad debt and good debt. Bad debt is your credit card buying your eggs and your milk right now and your gas. That's bad debt. Good debt is when the bank likes you and they loan you money because you make them money and you make money. That's good debt. And there's a big difference. There's lots of books and YouTubes. You can Google them. You can buy them or whatever. Okay, there's a difference. But whatever how debt works is, the way I look at debt is this. If all my debt is due, I should have more in my asset column than in my debt column, and I can bring forth my assets, and they're more than my debt. In other words, when I step into eternity, my assets outweigh my liabilities, so I don't put debt on my kids, I don't put it on my grandkids, I don't put it on the church, I don't put it on anybody on the human race. In fact, I've sown bountifully, and I've, I'm leaving behind asset wealth, so spiritual wealth that I pass on to children, and asset wealth, because I've taught them spiritually how to manage it so they can grow the kingdom when I'm gone, just like Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse. That's how I look at it. But I don't want to leave, you don't want, you know, burial's expensive. Funerals, you know, it's, it's pretty much cost like, pretty much cost 10 grand to bury anybody these days, in case you didn't know that. Some gives me 20, 30, 50 grand. Burials can be more expensive than weddings. I don't want to, I don't, you know, there's a lot of people that do that. They just die and they leave debt. It's, it's forced on their children, their children's children, and they never break the cycle. They're the tail, not the head. Debt means you're the tail, not the head. In the Old Testament, God said, Israel, you're meant to be the head, not the tail. If you obey the Lord, you're the head. If you disobey the Lord, you're the tail. And I believe the, the word of God's complete and thoroughly equipped for all of our good works. So I believe Jesus Christ wants to be the head. Not that we don't have financial difficulties, because he said with food and clothing, we'll be content. But I want the mindset of the head, not the mindset of the tail. There's no virtue in poverty. There's no virtue in wealth. But the one that takes two and makes four gets rewarded in eternity. The one that gets five and makes ten gets rewarded in eternity. The one that has one and does nothing gets nothing. And the one who gets one and loses it has for sure got nothing. So my best counsel to all of you is you've got economic debt. Prioritize it and get out of it. Because we are in inflation. And it's not transitory. And we are moving into recession. Jobs are being laid off. Jobs are being lost. We have a war that's going to expand in Europe, and we have a supply chain problem. We've never rebuilt the damage done from the COVID lockdown. So I'm telling you, if you've got debt, fix it at the top of your list. Get out of debt, because the debtor is a slave to the lender. And I, did a, I was at a memorial here for a few months ago for a man who took his life because he was overwhelmed by his debt and his creditors. That's not the escape. The escape is one step forward with Jesus each day, going in the right direction. When I settled my sister's debt, when she was homeless and then in rehab, and I called and I negotiated and I settled with them all of her debt with the blessings that my parents stored up from my mom, and she's able to clear that debt, and now she's a thriving homeowner with an, with an offer on the property next to her, and she loves her job at Home Depot in Vero Beach, Florida. You can turn it around. And you say, I don't have parents that left something for me. You've got someone way better than my parents. You got Jesus. The wealth on this planet Earth belongs to him. It never leaves the planet. He redistributes it. So it's never about the money. It's about the heart. So if you feel like, well, no one left me an inheritance. Well, you know what? Then get your hustle on and start putting things in motion where God can bless you and leave someone else an inheritance when you go. Just you watch. You're 61. You see a lot of people who never lived. 
And they never accept the responsibility for time, space, and matter, the stewardship of their health and their life, and the opportunity to live in the United States of America and all this country gives us. It's bad enough if you don't make something of your life living for 80 years on planet Earth. It's even worse if you're an American citizen because you probably have better opportunity than anyone else in any other country. Certainly all the countries I've been to, it's a better chance here than anywhere else. Losers make excuses. Winners get things done. And I know those are strong words, but that's just the way it is in the human experience. Get out of debt. Discipline yourself with your finances. You have income, you have expenses. You have assets and uh, liabilities. You know, Income, expenses, month to month. Then you have assets, long-term wealth management, and liabilities, long-term uh, accountability of, of what you're on the hook for. You got a house worth a million dollars, you owe 500,000 on it, you've got 500,000 equity, that can go up, that can go down, but you know, that's debt, asset, you know, that's in your line. Or you got stocks and dividends from stocks. Listen, watch YouTube. I learned to dance on YouTube, I learned how to manage money on YouTube, right? YouTube, Google it, you figure it out. You know, Luke Caldwell told me years ago, hey, Joey, start thinking and get your hustle on. All, that's all he had to tell me. He didn't say, this is how you do this with this or that. This is how you do. He just said, start thinking and get your hustle on. See, most people are crippled economically because they're too lazy. To, to, they're too lazy, too fearful to figure it out. You got to know, like if Joey Brown wants to understand accounting, Donald Lindbergh, then that means I'm not lazy because I want to understand accounting because I'm going to give an account for everything God's entrusted to me. So I figure it's a good time to start learning numbers, even though I'm not really a numbers guy. But I want to be entrusted with more things in the, in the human experience. Balance your personal budget. You talk about right brain is the metric how you think. It's the accounting. Do the, does the money work on this? Left brain is the creativity, how you do something. Like how you resolve, how you create ideas. See, the, see if we had a million dollars in the room, if I was going to give you a million dollars, which I'm not going to, but if I was going to, you might say, oh, Joey's going to a million dollars. But if you're really smart, you'd ask me, how did you make the million dollars? Because if I give you the million dollars, I'm going to give you the million dollars. If I give you the understanding of how I made a million dollars, then maybe you can go make more than a million or whatever it is that you want to do with finances. See, for 20 years at least, I've been, whenever I'm talking to someone that I would deem, well, I, I learn from homeless people. Everyone has something to learn from. But when I'm talking to someone, for example, Leah's wedding rehearsal, it was a, the rehearsal dinner was at his house in Laguna Beach, like a $20 million home. Might have burned down last week, but this $20 million home, and the owner was there, and I ended up in this room with just him, and he made it in commercial real estate. You know what I did? I pulled out my memory stick, analytically, you know, uh, you know an analogy, and I did, boom, tell me about, this is like, this is when Leah got married, like 10 years ago. Hey, tell me about commercial real estate, a USC grad. He talked for 20 minutes. I just downloaded it all, like James Bond, boom. I just got free education from a USC grad on how he made money, lost money in commercial real estate, and how he's making it again. I don't need his money. I need what he knows. Henry Ford, barely educated, but he's the smartest man in the room because he surrounded himself with the smartest men and women on planet Earth. So what he didn't know, he met someone that did know. Get smarter. It's time to get smarter economically. Don't just be a victim of... Don't just be a victim of inflation, recession, supply chain, and global wars. And super bubble. Everything bubble. Change your mindset and determine that you're going to educate yourself to be better with the economics God gives you so you can sleep better and you can take care better of the needs that you have for your loved ones and how you do it. And people say, oh, I, I, listen, you just have to do what you have to do. I have to give an account for myself. You give an account for yours. I, I don't need to find solutions for your economic problems. You do. And God has the answer. Right brain metrics, left brain creativity. And then what I told my friend Sean Masson today, you get your right brain going, your left brain going, and then what do you get? You get the mind of Christ and put that over it all. So you got, you're using this analytically, you're using this creativity, and you're saying, now under the spirit of God, the mind of the spirit. You're superwoman. You're like supercomputer. God has all the answers. He has the solutions to your economic challenges. 
How are we going to balance this budget? How are we going to clear the state? He knows. No matter how much you self-inflicted it with laziness or uh, fear or bad influences and things like that, hey, he's, he can t- you want to turn it around? He'll turn it around for you. You just got to decide you're going to turn around. You got to change your thinking and turn it around. You turn it around. Me personally, you get these different models. I'm going to move on from this, but I'm just, I'm sharing my heart with you. I like a 10, 10, 70, 10 model right now with every hundred dollars. 10, 10, 70, 10. 10 for the tithe, 10 for savings, 70 for cost of living, 10 for investment. 10, 10, 70, 10. It's a pretty good model. You can find other models that are pretty similar, but God doesn't need your tithe. We don't need your tithe, but you need to tithe. Let me say that again. God doesn't need your tithe. He doesn't need your 10%. He owns the universe. We don't need your 10%. People have come and gone to this church for 17 years. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread in the city. We don't need your tithe. But you need to tithe. Because it's the one thing in the entire Bible where God says, put me to the test and I'll show you I got your back. I'll show you the God of heaven, how I work, when you trust me with the first 10% of your wealth. And if you want to tie to the penny, tie to the penny. You want to tie above that, tie above that. You, you know, you can't outgive God. Because if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. The tithe, the savings, you'll never have enough money to pay yourself, so pay yourself. And set aside the savings. And you'll never have enough money to invest, so find a way to find some money to invest. It's not, it's not rocket science, but just get your hustle on and think it through. If, if you're serious with God, when you come to Cave Abdulam and you're in debt and you say, Lord Jesus, I'm in debt, and you mean business and you say, I want to live by faith, I want to obey you, I want you to be Lord of all my life, particularly my economics, he'll meet you there and he'll turn you around. I promise it, I guarantee it. Absolutely. So the Bible tells us in Proverbs, know the state of your flocks. You need to know your income expenditures and your asset liabilities to the penny. Know the state of your flocks. So you've got what you need when you need it. So bountifully, 2 Corinthians, and then, of course, grow. Matthew 25, the one that has two gets four, five gets ten. Grow. Grow. Expand the kingdom. See God for an expanding kingdom. Be that expanding kingdom. You think Franklin Graham's over there in Tennessee or in North Carolina living in fear about this, that, and everything else? No. These are people of faith that do things like Operation Christmas Child and the Emergency Relief Samaritan's Purse. That's who we need to be. I'm not drinking the fear Kool-Aid, nor the laziness Kool-Aid. I just believe the victory of Jesus on the cross over my sins is his victory to help me to be walk in knowledge, understanding, and wisdom in all things of life. Because he's given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. And I want to get all of it. Don't you? Because, again, it's not about what can be left behind or what thieving moth can destroy. Because Jesus said, so up your treasures in heaven. But it's about learning how you are faithful in these things. So that's the reward in heaven because now you can be entrusted with more. Because this goes back to baseball. If you're hustling at spring ball and you're hitting, fielding, and doing all things you're supposed to do, showing up early, not giving attitude, getting the job, learning the pitches, paying attention to the scouting report, you make the team. But if you're lazy in time, you'll be in the kingdom in glory. But I'm not, I'm pretty certain you won't have nearly what you could have been. I do not want to be on God's eternal roster less than what I could have been. Nor do I want any of you to be. And I definitely don't want you pointing at me saying, he didn't leave me in the way to, to dig deeper, run faster, be stronger, believe more. I want you, look, I, you know, when you're standing before the king and I'm your pastor, I want the king to go like, hey, he told you, get your hustle on and don't be lazy. Now more than ever. Now more than ever. Because I want to keep helping people all over the world that are, don't have the same economic opportunities that we have. Don't you? Like I told someone recently about getting their trust in order. I said, you know, you have hundreds of thousands of dollars of wealth. You need to get the trust. You need to have the quick claim. You need these things. And you need to specify when you step in eternity, if you do step in eternity, that you specify where that money's going. Do you want to go to family and friends? Do you want to go to the mission in Ghana? Where do you want it to go? Because if you don't specify it, then the lawyers will certainly know where they want it to go. Now, the last thing is they were, um, 
discontented. Now, I feel like we're a pretty happy church in a good way. I feel like we're, yeah, we're, we're a joyful church. We love to praise the Lord. Jeff Anderson comes out, cranks it up. We're like, right? We can dance at a wedding. We can cry at a memorial. We're real here. We're, we're, I feel like we're a joyful church. I don't think there's too many. If someone has a negative disposition and kind of a, a Debbie Downer or Eeyore, you know, with Winnie the Pooh, like, you're not going to stick around here very long. Like, I've seen Eeyore come and go, he's like, oh, man, and he goes. She goes. Like, you're, like, Eeyore wouldn't like hanging out at WG. So I feel like as a whole, we're pretty positive, optimistic disposition in who we are with the kingdom. We understand that the blood delivers us from the sins. We understand grace. We're not testing it, provoking it. We're just going forward in it. We understand we fail, like what the guys today talking about today. We fail. We get tempted. We get this. We do that. We can't change yesterday. We're going forward. We're real. Like, we're not trying to be like some super religious thing. We're living the human experience. We have great days, bad days. But we keep going forward, and we frame everything with faith and expectation from the king and the good things that the Lord has for us. So I don't really feel like this third one is that applicable to us. Still, though, attitude is everything. We want to keep a positive attitude. I've been working on this because there's certain things that make me uh, negative, all right? I'm going to be honest here. If you say California government, I have negative thoughts. If you say County of Los Angeles, city council, I don't even live there. I have negative thoughts. I do. So when you say governor, I think like, huh? Or new laws and new mandates, I'm like, Huh. I have negative thoughts. But you know, in my daily goals that I review every day, in this list of certain things, do not speak ill of the state of California. Now, I'm not where I want to be, but I definitely am aware of it. You know, I have things like, never ever under any circumstance speak ill of my adult children or their spouses. Never ever under any circumstances speak ill of my in-laws, ever under any circumstance. These are good things to think about when you wake up and start your day because we all have opinions and my opinion doesn't matter in most cases. And I don't want my negative attitudes to affect me and how I am with other people. And I don't want someone else throwing something negative at me about someone, some of me about that person. So attitude and disposition and a, a, a faith-filled worldview, that's what we want to have. We want to have godliness with contentment. We want to just keep it real with the Lord. We want to be a people of faith, not an unbelief, not self-defeated, not beaten down. But we're going to stay positive because our, we're fo- our focus on Jesus We're going to stay positive because his word is true and all the promises are yes and amen for everything pertaining to life and godliness. The things that really matter, the emotion, the mind, the heart, the spirit, the inner woman, the inner man, and then things we have to deal with, the economics of living the human experience at any given time, but now in a time like this. We can't let inflation, recession, and super bubble, all-encompassing bubble, we just can't let it take your joy because real wealth isn't the money that you can lose. All these people lost their billions last week in these different things. Real wealth is you walking with your wife on the bike path watching the sunset. You go around the block with your grandkid and you, you show her you can do slow motion on your camera and she realizes it's the greatest thing she's ever seen at the age of five. By the way, on that walk, Zippy's classic because I've been Papa Joe but it's the craziest thing the other day. She goes, she goes like this. She leans over the couch. She goes, hey, Joey Baran. <laughs> what? I was like, that's right. I'm Joey Baran, Zippy, and you're my granddaughter. But like, she's like, hey, Joey Baran. I'm like, where'd I come from? Well, suddenly it's like, I'm Joey Baran, you know? I'm like, hey, let's go for a walk, Zippy. Got that slow motion. She's doing like this. I got a great Instagram coming up, Zippy, just like pump it up. That's real wealth. Guys lost a billion dollars last week, and I'm walking around the block with my granddaughter with real wealth. Because wealth is just perceived anyways. It's ideas, it's thoughts, it's common exchange. It's just, that's real wealth. Our real wealth is in Jesus and the joy of a relationship with the Savior, Jesus Christ. Humor in a difficult day. That's real wealth. So we keep that perspective and we're not 
dis, we're not discontented. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we just keep a thankful spirit, a positive disposition on the things of the Lord, be grateful, and, and, and keep it simple. And, and just know there's total victory in Jesus for all of life's experiences. The injustices that never get straightened out when you're alive, just give it to the Lord. You can't stop living because of that. When we saw Saul kill or Dog Edomite killed those 70 priests, it just, it just makes me sick to read that chapter. And it wasn't injustice, and you can't bring those guys back. But we see injustice all the time that you can't bring back. But we know that it's all going to work out in eternity. So we stay positive. We stay, we frame it in faith. We put Jesus, the cross, the tomb, the blood, the empty tomb, faith. We just, that's how we need to live. Because we can come to the cave in, in distress, in debt and discontented, but we cannot leave the cave of Abdullam, the same woman, the same man that came in there. Because our captain is not David, our captain is Jesus. And he's going to elevate us. And he wants us to be part of the kingdom and the administration of the reign of David. But so much better than the reign of David to be one of the mighty men of Jesus, the mighty women of Jesus, is to be faithful in time, space, and matter as a mighty woman of God and a mighty man of God, but even more so in the, in the kingdom to come, the age to come. So be encouraged and be built up. And I leave with this thought on this matter. Back to Philippians 4.13. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And Paul said, I've learned to be in debt. I've, I've learned to be uh, broken, to have nothing. And I've learned to have many things. And I've learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he said that my God is able to meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's spiritual. That's emotional. That's inner woman, inner man. That's the economic needs that he defines for our life. And, and that's what we want to do. And that's what he promises to do. So keep the faith. Stay encouraged. It's okay what you brought to the cave yesterday, but make sure you're going forward with the lessons of today to be a better version of the mighty woman and the mighty man of God. King Jesus wants us to be on this side of eternity so we're ready when we get to eternity.